Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Gay Men Going Deeper with your uh, surprise guests and hosts. We have Star, Miguel, Andre, and Reno. Um, today's episode is uh, a deep, potentially heavy, important introductory and ongoing conversation around the topic of internalized racism. I, I want to start by saying as well that we're not experts on um, this topic, nor do we or our opinions um, or experiences or perspectives represent all BIPOC people. We're simply here to have a conversation share some of our own experiences with internalized racism, some of our own learnings and insights uh, in the hope that uh, you will leave this episode feeling informed, educated, um, curious, um, possibly humbled as well, and, and really open to continuing the conversation and the journey to um, understanding the impacts of racism and internalized racism. Um, this conversation is not exclusive to uh, people of color. In fact, I would recommend that if there are uh, people of European descent that you are connected with um, or that are listening right now or curious about uh, this particular episode that you do in fact listen and that if you are a BIPOC listener currently that you um, share this with your your friends and family members of European descent. It's a conversation for everyone because racism, um, racial prejudice, racial discrimination, and internalized racism really does affect everyone, you know? So I think it's important that everyone be a part of this conversation um, and that everyone participate in sharing it as well. So before we dive in, um, I want to introduce everyone, or I'd like everyone to introduce themselves, actually, uh, so no pressure, and, um, and to share um, why you said yes to having this conversation, and to also share um, maybe a bit of what internalized racism means to you. And we'll dive deeper, obviously, but this is just kind of an opener. So who are you? Um, why did you say yes to this conversation? And what does internalized racism mean to you? Um, anyone feel free to start. I'm also happy to go first if, if nobody else wants to. <laughs> yeah. So my name is Andre. Um, and the question is, why did I want to be part of this conversation? Um, I wanted to be part of this conversation because I think it would be really helpful for me as an individual to, in order to grow myself and propel myself, you know, just get the opinions of vast different people um, based on how I see things, see if people are seeing things the same way I'm seeing things. And what is it that I'm not seeing? What are some blind spots that I have um, with the goal of just bettering myself as a person, as a human being? So, um, I find that when I'm in conversations with my network, 
the conversation tends to be the same because we're all in alignment. <laughs> so I, I have done a very good job of choosing friends and family members that agree with me. <laughs> so I'm open to hearing what, you know, people have to say uh, who listen to this podcast and seeing if there's a new way in which I can develop myself. Thank you, Andre. You're welcome. Um, I could go. Uh, my name is Star, and I said yes to this podcast because I felt it was important to uh, be uh, have like be a kind of representation for people that look like me. Because growing up, I didn't have that. I didn't have people who looked like me, sounded like me, and who shared the same values as I did. I didn't have that kind of image to look up to or to aspire towards or I and I felt so alone with my opinions too so I think it's important that we have this kind of open forum and discussions that people out there who can hear and connect with it know that they're not alone and you know feel they're free to you know air their opinions and feel supported through this. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I, I guess I'll go next, yeah. Um, my name's Reno, and um, some of you may recognize me. Uh, I was, I've been involved with the, the Gay Men's Brotherhood for a while. Uh, I am a spiritual life and business coach, a writer, and a facilitator. And I said yes to this conversation because um, I really felt like it was an important conversation to have. And the decision to say, yes, I'll have to be transparent was not, it wasn't an immediate one. I wasn't immediately a yes. I, I took some time to check in with my body and really feel into, um, is this right for me? And is this something I want to do? It wasn't about anyone else. And it wasn't about, um, you know, um, the decision was was about was about me and and really about whether or not it was aligned for me to you know to engage in this topic and in this way in this space and there were some you know some things that i had to reflect on and i i came to the conclusion that i really want to be a part of this conversation and i really want to be um someone who is actively participating in and facilitating these kinds of conversations. So I'm really happy to be here. And as far as internalized racism and what it means to me, um, I, I think that what I've come to understand about internalized racism through my own experiences is that um, it manifests shame and self-hate um, in relation to my race and my um, any anything associated with with my my race in particular or or um, you know diverse um, ethnic groups and um, I'm excited to dive into more of what that looks like and how I've experienced it but I'd say that's my my basic and general sort of definition of what it means to me yeah um, my name is Miguel and I didn't really know as well 
if I would participate, but I just decided that I would overcome some fears and just uh, allow myself to be heard and just um, to be in a place to grow. I, I feel like I, you know, I've always been on the side and not saying too much. So this is the time for me to um, express myself a little more. And um, what internalized racism would mean to me is just um, how, how I feel about myself and uh, how I uh, see others who are you know, not um, Caucasian and how this has affected us in the myriads of, of ways in which we think about ourselves and how we express ourselves. So that's what it means to me. Thank you. Thank you all. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, each of you as well, um, if you're comfortable to uh, speak to your, your ancestry. So what, what, what are each of your origins? And I can go first. I'm a um, Trinidadian, Irish, and uh, English and Scottish descent. So I'm, I'm what they call mixed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can go next. So I was born um, in the Caribbean as well um, on an island called Jamaica in the city of Kingston. Um, I migrated to um, America, New York when I was five. And um, just last year I got my citizenship. So I'm officially an American citizen now. Um, my family we're all Jamaican. And um, just in order to get further, I, I did like an ancestry.com test last year because I wanted to know like what else is out there. But for the most part, my family is sister, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, grand, you know, Jamaican. <laughs> you want to. Um, well, I'm from Trinidad as well. Mm. <laughs> There's a Caribbean crew here, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and my mix, well, I'm from B-Black and Latino, and uh, with hints of Portuguese and Chinese on both sides as well. So. Um, I am half Filipino and um, half Mexican. So I have Latino roots of, you know, various extractions. And um, my great-grandfather is from Trinidad as well. No, I'm teasing, guys. So. <laughs> I was like, whoa, get out. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, so I, I uh, was born and raised in Canada. And um, I live in the U.S. now, but uh, I'm trying to make my way back home to uh to o canada and uh just uh live the good life back at home so yeah come on over <laughs> yeah definitely yeah thank you thank you um so i think a, a great place to start this conversation um Is, is by defining internalized racism. And so um, 
I've, I've reviewed a definition because as I, as I mentioned before we started recording, um, I'm still learning and, and I always will be. And um, that's exciting and humbling simultaneously. So internalized racism um, by definition is a form of internalized oppression and, um, and is the internalization of racial oppression by the racially subordinated. Um, internalized racism involves both conscious and unconscious acceptance of a racial hierarchy in which whites are consistently ranked above people of color. Um, these definitions encompass a wide range of instances, including but not limited to belief in negative racial stereotypes, adaptations to white cultural standards, and thinking that supports the status quo, i.e. denying that racism exists. So um, also internalized racism as a phenomenon is a direct product of a racial, racial classification system and is found across different racial groups and regions around the world where race exists as a social construct. So with all that being said, um, I wanna start with the question, what, what is your experience of internalized racism and, and how did you come to recognize internalized racism for yourselves? Okay, so I will, I'll take it on. So um, how did I come to know it and recognize it? Um, because it is a constant conversation and it's a conversation that has gone on around me even before I really understood what race was. Um, how I understand it, I'm, I'm a very logical person, I'm brainy, you know, people call me a nerd, I'll take it, is um, just logically, mathematically, I think when you are a minority, which means the smaller population dealing with a majority, I think you're going to feel excluded in some way, shape or form when a majority rules. So, and I think everyone can relate to that experience of feeling discounted because, you know, it's like, oh, you know, let's go to the movies. Well, I wanna see this movie. Well, I don't wanna see that movie, but we're gonna see that movie anyway. And that feeling of, um, not being heard, acknowledged, understood, or kind of cast aside. So I think when you grow up in a culture where you're a minority group, I think you're constantly trying to figure out how can you be heard? How can you be seen? Um, because there are certain complexities that do make us different that you know, need to be acknowledged. So um, I go to a barbershop, but I go to a particular type of barbershop mm -hmm. because of the, um, you know, the, um, the way my hair is. So I don't choose to go to that barbershop because of racism, just because what's there for me and how they can cater to my specific needs is there. And 
if you have the privilege of not having to ever think about that, um, you won't understand why you can't say to me, you know, Andre, why, I, I, you're, you're paying X amount of money for a haircut. Why don't you try supercuts? It's much cheaper. Um, well, I wouldn't consider supercuts because I don't think that they know how to handle my texture of hair. So um, that's when certain things especially become present because um, I've got to find particular things um, or go particular places to get things that I need specifically for me. And if you don't have that experience, you're, I find that you have a tendency to not be sensitive to that. Yeah. Thanks, Andre. You're welcome. Hey, Reno, could, uh, could you kindly um, just go over that question again about how we're experiencing yeah. it? Is that, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the question was, what is your experience of internalized racism? Okay. And how did you come to recognize um, internalized racism? Yeah. I think for me, uh, I experienced it early on when I was growing up, um, you know, in Canada and having the majority of my kindergarten classmates, I'm just thinking back to kindergarten right now, and um, all of them were white. And um, they weren't necessarily mean uh, per se. However, there was just a, this, um, um, this kind of treatment that I sensed was different and I couldn't put a finger on it per se, but I just knew that something was just different. And um, I didn't know how to handle that, but um, I think that was, that was just my very first experience of it. And so from, from that point on, growing up in, in this town and then you know, staying with the same people throughout elementary school, um, it just became more apparent that, oh, okay, they're um, perhaps looking at me differently because of you know, how I look. Maybe not necessarily how I conduct myself or how I speak English, but just because I, I look different from them. So, yeah. Uh, for me, um, I think my realization came early as a fragile age. I mean, I say this all the time, but it's true. Uh, from Disney, <laughs> from, you know, that young tender age where you look at, you know, the prince and the whole story and I'm envisioning my life with the prince, quote unquote, you know, and, you know, and I always saw that I didn't look like them. And the life that they seemed to have, I didn't, mine wasn't kind of lining up to that. And the only thing I figured out late, um, early at, at that age was that, you know, it's color of my skin. We have different color skin. So I kind of like maybe, now that I, th I think of it, maybe at some point early on, I kind of attached, um, you know, the, the admiration or having uh, a lifestyle of, you know, the Disney world as looking a certain way, you know, being white with, you know, that, you know, the Kendall hair, you know, it, it's, I didn't, you know, the things that you take for granted when you were younger, 
you only now think of it and you you ask yourself like wow like i wish i could go back to that age and show myself a different perspective but if i have to be honest i think that is the start of my realization of internal my internal racism a bit yeah 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 i can i can definitely relate i would say to to most of the examples shared here and i think for me um I didn't really understand the concept of internalized racism until my adulthood. Um, it would have been probably my, maybe my mid late, no, I would say probably my mid twenties. Um, the, my earliest experience of it though, my, you know, one of my earlier experiences I recall is seeing, um, you know, seeing the Backstreet Boys or watching Disney movies or, you know, NSYNC, these pop groups and these pop icons, so frequently um, light-skinned, blonde-haired, um, you know, light eye color. And, and um, not really knowing the impact that a lack of representation had on me until, you know, until later on in life and seeing all of these little instances where, um, you know, maybe I wanted to stay out of the sun because I didn't want my skin to get darker, right? Where does that come from? Where, did, where does that, how does a kid, you know, um, come to, to, to feel that way, right? Or, um, you know, I started chemically straightening my hair, you know, and if you've ever relaxed your hair, like this is a chemical poison um, and, and again, I'm, I, there is no judgment here because I've done it and I'm not going to say that I wouldn't ever do it again, but it's unlikely, but this is a chemical poison that you put in your hair that strips it so that it is bone straight. Um, and I used to put this stuff in my hair, uh, so that I could have whiter hair, straighter hair. Um, I had bleached my hair at another point again, not because I wanted to bleach my hair because it was cool, but because I wanted to, because I wanted to, to, to be more white, you know, and, and where does that come from? And I remember um, being in um, Southeast Asia and I was looking for a moisturizer and I could not find um, a moisturizer without a skin bleaching agent in it. And I realized like that messaging um, that, that, you know, that Eurocentric messaging um, is so insidious that it had somehow crept its way into my psyche and influenced um, how I perceive myself and manifested as a sort of hatred toward myself, sometimes in very explicit ways, but other times in, in, you know, in just really subtle ways, ways that seem harmless, right? Like, oh, me wanting to have a, a lighter brown shade of skin um, 
seemed harmless. It was like, oh, you know, and, and or straight hair or wearing colored contacts. It all seemed so harmless until I realized that it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't at all. And that um, I did not love who I was and that that didn't come from nowhere. It came from somewhere, you know, it came from all over the place, right? Um, and so now I would say at this point in the stage in my life, um, and for years, the work has been, um, what I learned is called uh, becoming critically conscious, you know? So really being aware of the, the subtle ways in which um, racism becomes internalized in my, in my experience, yeah. Can I just add a little yeah, bit? Yeah, please, yeah. Open conversation. <laughs> as, as you were talking, like, voice coming back. I remember at, at, when I was five or six, uh, my, my cousin and I, we would, like, put our arms, um, the inside part of our arms, and compare complexions. And, you know, it's, it's stuff like that that you think, where did I develop that, you know? And I, I would say it's, well, the media, uh, because, you know, that's what you were exposed to as a child, you know? But I don't know, it, it, it's, as you said, you know, it's just the little things that seem to seep into our subconscious mind so sneakily that we don't even know that it, it, it cemented, like it took root and it changes our entire perspective of how we do things, how we see the world. And like I, I remember um, growing up in schools, they would call me Oreo because, you know, you black on the outside and white on the inside Me too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. just because you know i i spoke a certain way or like the things i liked you know it kind of it shaped who i am and it's i sometimes wonder like what would my life be if i didn't if i was not exposed to those you know little microaggressions yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, and well, I'll let Andrew you can share. Yeah. Um, I do think it is a common or maybe too common of a conversation in the black and brown community. I think part of what maybe the source is feeling a lack of representation, but for example, us having this conversation, I don't think would be considered very unusual. But I think if we had for white people who are discussing their internalized racism, we'd be like, for what? <laughs> what, what, what? What do you mean? And yet at the same time, there are people who exist that really acknowledge the creativity and the beauty and the entertainment and just all the amazing things about the black and brown community that they do express like, man, I wish I could be like you, like the grass just seems so greener. But I think because it is just so common within our community to have this type of conversation, we would not even consider that, um, that people of different ethnicities are, are thinking the same thing. And I think that is, um, that's really a conversation that we just continuously have that maybe what 
what is needed is, well, where's the resolve? Where does, where does the conversation get a solution and then it's done, right? Um, it, it's just consistently ongoing. When you say, Andre, when you say they're thinking the same thing, what, what did you mean by that? Okay, very good. So um, for example, um, I have had uh, people of different races, nationality, all of that, that might say, Andre, you know, I really like your hair. I think your hair is really beautiful. Can I touch it? And I'll be like, yeah, you know, for me, it's like, if you ask me, that's fine. But if you just dip your head in my hair, like I feel violated, like, wait a minute. <laughs> but for me, that's fine because I know for them it's intriguing. And I know for them, sometimes it's like, what they're not saying is I wish my hair was like that. I think that's cool. I wish I could style myself like that. And because I'm not like you, I can't. Um, however, I think black and brown people will more openly have a conversation about how we experience wanting a different hair texture. At some point in our lives, it's like we experience this feeling of, I want a different hair texture. This is not the right hair texture. Whereas you won't find a lot of Caucasian people saying, I don't want this hair texture. I want, I want a black and brown hair texture. It's just not a common conversation. And maybe within their culture, it's not even an appropriate conversation. Maybe somebody would look at them like, <laughs> what are you saying? Um, and it's not like we don't get that response too from other black people like, what are you saying? What do you mean you wanna change your hair texture? It's just not unusual to go through life feeling that. And a lot of that I do think comes from the fact that, you know, visually you see the majority so much and you see what they have access to. It's a, a want to have access to it. Um, you know, I look at myself every day. So, you know, sometimes I get bored. I'm like, you again? <laughs> so I'll change my hair up because it, it's still me, but it presents a different side of me. And sometimes I'm not doing it because I want to necessarily change my ethnicity is that I just want options. Um, so I've done blonde, I've done pink, I've done red, I've done you know, all these different type of hairstyles just because I want to present myself as myself in another way. Especially because when I look in the mirror, I feel like, I do feel like as a black person, I don't think I have as much options when it comes to hairstyle as somebody who may have straight hair. You know, I think if you look through a catalog of hairstyles for people with straight hair, it's like hundreds and hundreds of pages. Whereas as a black man, it's like, you go to the barber shop, it's pretty much the same barber photo on the wall with a square of like, you know, 20 hairstyles that you could choose from. And that's your options, like fade, 
Ball fade. (laughs) So I think it comes from, sometimes my internalized racism comes from wanting to feel not restricted. Wanting to, when you see what's possible for other people and you see these options, it's like, I want that. And sometimes you have to wonder, is the reason why I don't have that because I'm black? You know, you kind of just, I think you go through a period of wondering, is being black or brown a restriction? And I think you kind of process it like it, it might be or it might not be, but I think it's just, it is a part of the process with being black. I think we do have these conversations. Mm. That's a powerful question too, I think. Um, is being is, is being a black indigenous or person of color, um, what was the word you use? A restriction, a restriction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a question, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that it's a restriction maybe because we might have been led to believe it is a restriction, right? But, I mean, who's to say you can't just be exactly who you are and, and to be perceived as just as worthy and beautiful and sexy like anyone else? Why do you have to change your you know, external appearance? I mean, yes, you can choose to do whatever you want with that, uh, just for experimentation, but to be, you know, uh, perhaps perceived as more desirable or acceptable, uh, I don't know. Um, But it is a good question, for sure. I used to think it was a restriction. I don't feel that way anymore. I think that there is certain frustrations, certain trials and tribulations that come with you know, for everyone that comes with who you are, um, I think it's frustrating to be in those conversations or have certain realizations. Um, but I don't think it has stopped me from getting the things I want. It's had to make me maybe more crafty. It's maybe had to make me work harder. Um, it's made me have to show up differently. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going to get what I want. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to happen. Um, so in some ways, it's made me more savvy and creative. And I think in a lot of ways, that is what um, a lot of people kind of look at when they look at Black and brown people and think, man, I wish I had that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like one day, you know, we decided, you know what? we don't have such and such material for clothes. So let's just create this style and wear it and do it like this. And then it becomes popular that all of a sudden people are like, you know what? I want to do that too. <laughs> and they have no idea where it comes from. <laughs> but we're just, we're just that creative. It's like, we're going to find a way. We're going to make Necessity it happen. Necessity breeds creativity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think Miguel, I'm curious. Um, you spoke to some of your experiences at an earlier age. And I'm wondering, in contrast, um, you know, as an adult now, uh, how have you seen internalized racism show up in your life? And, um, you know, maybe during those earlier years and even, even maybe in more recent years, if it's been present, yeah. Well, uh, you know, given the political climate here in the last four years, in the US, I think, um, and I can only speak for myself, I don't know that I'm alone, but I feel as though that there is this very low grade paranoia about how others would treat me even just upon going to the grocery store or you know, other public places where you could access just your everyday needs. And um, I didn't necessarily want to think that way, but I, I did. Um, so from kindergarten to, you know, the experience that I have now, I think it, it's still, I, I think it's just been emphasized um, in the last little while, just because of the um, tense political climate here in the US. And so, if you were to be explicit, and yeah. you, you said, I think it's, it's just been emphasized. If you were to be explicit, what is the sort of idea or narrative um, that that you that you see as being emphasized, and and sort of how do you experience that um, as a thought? Like, what is the thought for you? Yeah, uh, that somebody could potentially harm me because you because are... I am not Caucasian. Uh, yeah. Because I also live in an area where it's predominantly white at this, you know, where I live now. And it's rural. I mean, rural Canada, rural the U.S., very similar. Um, so it's just the way it is. You know, I, I feel that, um, I mean, there are good people and, and, and bad people everywhere. But I think everything was just very poignant and, and, and more emphasized within the political climate. And so I thought, okay, well, do I now restrict my mobility? Do I just stay home and just really be safe? Or do I just get out there and do what I need to do? And so I thought, well, I am just going to do what I need to do. And if people choose to you know, make comments or even attempt to harm me, well, it's the chance I must take because I need to live as well. Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we can't talk about internalized racism without talking about some of the manifestations of internalized racism, which I think will be very helpful to, um, to those listening and ourselves included to kind of unpack as much as we can in a single episode, which is you know, which is a bit tricky, obviously. Um, but, you know, reflecting on some of the manifestations, you have things like self-image and beauty standards. You have things like um, stereotype threat, which is essentially, um, you know, internalized and projected um, conformity to negative stereotypes. So it might be something like, for example, um, um, let's say uh, 
black people steal, therefore they can't be trusted, right? Um, if, if, if we're seeing those narratives, um, if we're experiencing those narratives, whether explicitly or implicitly and subliminally, over time we may internalize that narrative and what may end up happening is that um, we see a, a person of color, a black person sort of approaching or a group of black people in the same room as us um, and we hide our, our precious belongings, right? Um, even as people of color, we hide our precious belongings. You know, um, people of color are dangerous. So we, we see a person of color coming our way, um, you know, at, at, on a dark street at 10 p.m. or something like that. And uh, a wave of fear and anxiety comes over us, right? Where do these things come from? Um, you know, this is another example of, 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 um, of uh, manifestation of, of internalized racism. Um, you know, as far as self-image and beauty standards, I was saying earlier as well, there's an experiment that was done where um, they had a group of um, um, children of color choose, uh, you may have heard about this, choose their favorite doll, right? The, the, the doll that was the best doll. Um, and inevitably they ended up choosing the white doll, right? Um, so that's just one example. Uh, and one very explicit example of internalized racism, right? Why did they choose this doll? Well, because light skin, blue eyes, and, and light hair is, is better, you know, is, is what they were taught. Um, and then also another manifestation that shows up is in um, educational institutions, curriculum, um, the media, environments, and communities. So this is where we see um, predominantly Eurocentric uh, education and curriculum, right, in textbooks. And, um, you know, I think it's also important to note and acknowledge uh, some of the events that are taking place both in um, Canada and the United States right now, where um, there have been discoveries of um, bodies of um, children who were in residential schools, you know, and, 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 and over in the United States, um, I mean, there are so many things happening. Uh, black people are being killed by police and, um, you know, and, and, and then, and then of course, it's important to acknowledge um, the, you know, these acts of um, what is described as Asian hate, right? Um, all of these uh, things are very much alive right now. And, um, you know, the, this, this media and, and being bombarded with these narratives and all of this stuff happening can't help but, um, you know, inevitably become a, a form of internalized uh, racism, fear, etc. right? Um, and, then, and then lastly, Eurocentrism. Right, which is which is ultimately in it's in textbooks, it's on the television, um, it's in music, it's in the spaces we find ourselves in as minorities, and um, and so our experience becomes the European experience, right? By default, by proxy. So, with all of that said, um, 
you know, coming back to some of these manifestations, I'd be curious to hear um, what you all have noticed um, as, as manifestations of internalized racism for yourselves. So um, you brought up a lot of different categories yeah. and I find it very interesting because um, I do think there's trauma in generalization. Um, so we generalize certain things just because we want an easy answer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So here we are four different individuals and for a lot of people, they may look at this and say, let's generalize that they all like the same food so that if we invite them over for dinner, you know, um, we know what to make. But the truth of the matter is, is we really miss out on the fact that people are individuals and, and how it, um, it affects who we're being. So, you know, you date somebody, they cheat on you, now all men are cheaters. So you miss out on the opportunity to date the non-cheater because you have generalized that everyone is the same. Um, so I think that fear breeds trauma. And I think um, in a lot of ways too, the trauma is unorthodox. So, you know, we will see a sports game, right? And after the game, a majority of white might be partying and they will flip the cars over and <laughs> they will just go wild, which to, me, which to a lot of appears like a form of rioting, right? But we generalize and we say, oh, that's just white people stuff. Like we make it okay. <laughs> and the conversations we have are just don't don't be a part of that. Just <laughs> that's what they do. It's okay. <laughs> and I think that's where the word privilege comes from and being a part of a majority comes from because it allows you to get away with things. It gives you access to something because what are we gonna do? Are we gonna arrest you know, 50,000 white people? Are we gonna arrest you know, 100 black people protesting? You know what I mean? You know, that, that numbers game is really tough. I think within our community, you know, when it comes to beauty standards, that is, that is a whole nother issue that we as a community really need to take on. Mm -hmm. And beauty really take- Sorry, beauty standards, how? Like, could you go, could you go- Redefining what is beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. it really, it really messes us up in the fact that um, I think we have a lot of missed opportunities in the sense of, um, you know, I remember um, at one point I used to just wear like a goatee and I thought I was cute. And then I went a few weeks without a haircut and then, you know, it started growing out. And I remember some people would say, oh, I like that beard. Oh, you look good with that beard. Or people who have a hard time growing a beard would be like, Andre, I wish I could grow a beard. And I just got present to 
what it made available for me is a whole nother population of people that are attracted to something that I didn't really, I wasn't present to, right? So there's people that are attracted to people who are bald. There are people who are attracted to people who are thin. There are people, but I think because of internalized racism and the beauty standard, we miss out on opportunities to participate in the world in a way in which it, it's coming from a place of internal love. So we can participate and fully experience love. So we'll always hear, you know, the term, you can't love somebody else until you love yourself. But when you have these internalized racism beauty standards, you learn at a very young age to hate yourself. Mm -hmm. And you spend a lot of your adult life with that trauma, trying to figure out how to unpack that, mm -hmm. how, so that love can be available, you know? So things like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, when you talk about um, standards of beauty, Andre, I think um, mm -hmm. certainly within the Africanesque communities of Canada and the US, it, it exists completely. But wow, when I started learning more about the Latinos, for example, it really exists in the, in the Latino community as well. So, you know, when you even look at, um, let's say, for example, um, Univision or Telemundo and all, you know, the, the uh, sorry, the, um, the news media stations who are the people that are represented as the newscasters. They're more of the, the light-skinned Latinos, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, perhaps you are, it's, um, you're now understanding that certain things are, are reinforced, that if you have a, a lighter skin color, then mm -hmm. that's more desirable. That's what's going to get you further on in your life or in your career or um, things of that nature. And then, of course, now if you're mixed, if you have, uh, I don't know, let's say if you're, um, yeah, half Filipino and half white, well, because, you know, uh, that person would have more of um, a light skin, lighter skin tone, then that person could be perceived as more beautiful or um, that person is going to get farther in their career because at least they have a certain amount of um, Caucasian blood. Yeah. So, um, the, yeah, these, um, these, sorry, the, uh, the aspect of what we find attractive, I think is, or, you know, and standards of beauty, I think are very um, interesting to, to ponder as the, you know, the races are mixing because it's just inevitable right now. A lot of people are just, you know, marrying different folks. And I think it's beautiful, honestly. I definitely think when you don't have a representation, you're gonna internalize what is beautiful. If you're watching a runway show and everybody doesn't, nobody looks like you, you're going to internalize, well, why doesn't no one look like me? Does that mean I'm ugly? Right. You know, you're going to right. internalize the missing. And um, I definitely think that's the missing part of the conversation is that what, when we ask for representation, we're asking for it because this is how it impacts us when it's not present. We internalize it and we make ourselves wrong for it not being present. Right. And, and I think it's really, well, it, things are changing slowly. You know, For example, in the English speaking um, news media, you are having more African-Americans and, and African-Canadians being on um, you know, uh, as the newscasters and um, some Latinos 
so things are changing, but it's still, I, I don't think there is as much of a, a representation as, as could be um, brought forth. And I don't think people really get the difference it makes. Like um, <laughs> right, right. When, no, exactly. when Barack Obama became president of the United States, right? It changed elections forever. Like all of a sudden we had women, we had non-politicians, we had all of this stuff happening. And, and, and I don't think elections will ever be the same ever again. Because what he created as a representation is anything is possible. Right. So now people are like, you know what? If he could do it, I'm running for it. <laughs> I'm running for this. I'm running for that. You know, that's, yeah. that's what the presence of representation does. It creates possibility. Scar, yeah. you looked like you had something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I'll go back to it um, as reading. Don't internalize it, Star. Don't internalize <laughs> it. <laughs> um, to go back to a previous point, um, I was reading a bit uh, and I came across uh, a woman called Donna Bivens uh, from the Women's Theological Center. And she was saying that internalized racism in itself is, is, is a whole system on its own, it has its own mm -hmm. life, it has its own rewards and punishments. And for Blacks specifically, um, there's an unconscious reward when we participate in internalized racism. For example, uh, just for speech, for example, um, look at uh, someone maybe in the uh, African-American diaspora or even Caribbean who's, who speaks dialect or you know, their, their slang, the Black slangs, versus someone who speaks, a black person who speaks with standard English, right? The person who speaks standard English is usually considered more educated or uh, less aggressive. And that's what I've, I've realized um, with me personally. Fortunately, I had the opportunity to, you know, further my education and kind of adopt a more standard English approach. And that has taken me far, far in my career, uh, in social settings. I mean, I still get the, the same uh, uh, treatments that you, know, you were discussing earlier with being followed in a supermarket and you know, still have to be very conscious of your image. And for, I, I, I spoke about this in a podcast Michael and I had done before, which we didn't release yet. Um, and I was explaining that when I'm in a, a, if I go to a supermarket, if I have to put my hand in my pocket to take my phone out, yes. I am so conscious. Yes. To, you know, try not to look suspicious, take it out smoothly, make sure there's no item in my hand, you know, do what I need to do and make sure that it doesn't look like if I'm stealing or going to do something nefarious. It's so much to think about that. I think people are not aware of the, the you know, just it's hard being a BIPOC, you know? Yeah, and yeah. other people don't have those experiences. Not everyone has those experiences, those thoughts, right. has to consider those things, you exactly. know? Yeah. Exactly, so yeah. when And we, I think they'd be surprised to hear that you do. Some of them would be so surprised to hear that you do. 
exactly yeah even michael mm -hmm. was a, like surprised when i told him this mm -hmm. and you know it, it, someone who adopts the europe eurocentric approach with you know having a, a strong command of the english language or um dressing in a eurocentric way it's that looks non-threatening i think that there's a little reward in it that they don't have to suffer, quote unquote, as badly as the people who are not. Yeah. Oh, this is. I mean, this 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 conversation. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself um, because I'm because I'm not afraid to. Um, <laughs> I know, I know that and. <laughs> I imagine y'all have heard this before too. Like I know, um, oh, you're so well-spoken. Oh, you're so, you're so well-spoken. You're so well-mannered. Wow, oh, you know, how many times, how many times does someone say that to uh, a European person, someone of European descent, someone with white skin? Like, I'm sure they don't really hear that at all, right? Um, and, and I recognize that having internalized, and, and it's so subtle, right? Because this is, this is human conditioning. This is the human function. We recognize what we're praised for. We internalize it. We recognize what we are reprimanded for. We internalize it, right? It's just a natural function of the human existence. So if I see that I'm constantly praised for being so well-spoken and so well-behaved or someone's like, oh, your hair looks so good, you know, and, and it just happens to be up in a tight bun every time they say it or, you know, they're compl complimenting me on my coat of dress, um, you know, when I'm wearing Eurocentric attire repeatedly. Well, without fail, I'm probably going to start um, expressing myself in these ways, right? So, you know, starting you nailed it with these subtle and, and also sometimes explicit rewards, you know, the well-spoken well brown person is more likely to get the, the, the opportunity because they're well-spoken. What does that mean, well-spoken? Well, it means maybe you speak with less, less of an accent, maybe use less slang, etc. right? You're more you're more well adapted to the Eurocentric norm and status quo. And I would be lying if I said that I wasn't aware of those things. You know, I'm very reflective, I'm very introspective. And maybe early on, I didn't know explicitly that that's what was happening. But as I got older, it became very clear. Oh, when I talk like this, when I wear this, when I behave this way, when I adorn myself in hipster-like attire, et cetera, um, I'm rewarded, you know? And one of the things that's become increasingly clear to me is, um, and, and I owe this to a, a fellow member of the, the Gay Men's Brotherhood so, uh, uh, who's become a good friend of mine, you know, um, show me or tell me who you fuck or have sex with, date, marry, spend your money on, invest your time and your energy in, um, and, and, and provide with opportunities. And, and I will show you who you value, you know? And so, and that's a hard pill to swallow 
it, in, including if you're a person of color who's never dated a person of color as well. And, and, and I'm not saying that I'm not, you know, that I'm one of those people, I certainly have, but also I know that I have had a, um, an inclination to date lighter skinned people, right? And where does that come from? Well, it comes from what I saw, what I was taught and how I, was, how I, how I learned to, to not value people who looked like me, etc. you know? So um, I'm always kind of observing from that perspective now, you know, where, where is your money going? Who are you having sex with? Who are you dating? Who are you investing your time and your energy in? Who are you giving opportunities to? Who are you giving space to? That will tell me so much about, about what you value. And, and, and when I say you, I don't just mean people of European descent. I had to take that filter and look at myself and go, okay, hmm, maybe there's some things that I need to look at and grapple with and reconcile with within myself. Why am I, um, why am I ever chasing the uh, cisgendered heterosexual white males, right? Why, why, why would I be pursuing these people? Why is it their love, their validation, etc., that I'd be wanting? Oh well, you know, <laughs> internalized racism, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I could go on, but um, I thought it, one of the things that I'm seeing increasingly important is for me to, as I said earlier, I'm going to out myself, is for me to really out myself in that way. I think it's so important because, um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the phrases I live by is like, you know, feel it, reveal it, heal it, you know? And, um, and so if I want to, uh, to work through this, I need to come out. I need to out myself and, and reveal the ways in which racism has been internalized within me you know, um, the ways in which I may engage in um, upholding the status quo, the Eurocentric status, status quo, you know, the ways in which my, my um, you know, quote, end quote, preferences are actually a subtle manifestation of internalized racism, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I so, definitely think. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So, I, I, I just wanted to comment on what Damn you said. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Reno, I just wanted to comment about the fact that um, people, uh, um, when you know, when you speak in a certain way with you know a certain kind of eloquence. Well, I've been in a situation where um, you know I've had to translate for. X number of people because I know French and I know Spanish and a little bit of Italian, right? And so people at work, it's not, it's not a situation now where people kind of think, oh, wow, that's cool. They're, they're now, they're like looking at me saying like, who the hell do you think you are? So in other words, I feel like they think they're jealous, right? Instead of sort of saying, oh, wow, you know, you can speak all these languages. So people, some people have now been maybe even threatened by the fact that, oh, I can communicate in different languages. So why can't you, so, it, so when you really this, relate this back to a, um, uh, a European, they speak lots, lots of languages and no one bats an eyelash, right? So all of a sudden somebody who is not white and they speak different languages 
especially maybe their languages, it's a little, a little tense sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was also going to comment on, oh my goodness gracious, I had it in my mind. <laughs> um, what, was just, what was the last thing you were talking about, Reno? Just to refresh uh, my memory. Yeah, it was um, preferences and um, upholding the status quo, recognizing that by behaving, speaking, dressing in certain ways, there were certain rewards. Also, I think I said something about tell me who you um, invest. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to out myself too. <laughs> so, um, and it's all for the world to see now, but it, okay, so I, in, in viewing porn over the years, you know, both gay and straight porn, it's, it's mainly, you know, Caucasian folks. Okay, beautiful, they're beautiful. But I'm at a point in my life right now where, man, you know what? I want to see some chocolate people having sex together in, in, a, in a big way. You know, I want to see some Asians. I want to see some Middle Easterns and Latinos and have that be, you know, a, you know, uh, a really awesome representation, you know, on the porn hubs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just want to see that more because I, 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 I'm, I'm really loving the variation. And this is why, you know, I need to get out of this small town because I want to hang out with other people that are you're just different. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, I find myself even just, um, you know, with, yeah, looking at, yeah, sex material that I want something different than, than what's regularly out there. And I want to say real quick, too, I, I thought about this before because I, I, I knew coming into this, I was going to out myself. And what I wanted to emphasize as well is that if you're listening to this right now and you're someone of European descent um, who, who, um, who is, uh, let's say, white or uh, Caucasian or light skinned, um, I don't want you to hear what we're saying and how we're outing ourselves, so to speak, how we're revealing our internalized racism and to think that because we experience it, it somehow lets you all off the hook from having to do the work um, and, and, and allows you to just kind of sit back and kick back now because, oh, well, you know, they have their own racist tendencies too. Do, 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 do. That's, that, that's not what this is about. This does not um, suddenly give you a hall pass or exclude you from from doing the work, um, so I, I I just wanted to emphasize the importance of that. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the the interesting thing, and thank you, Mike, because what I love is you could always count up Mike to talk about sex. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Okay, not that you need to know this, guys, but my nick my nickname in high school was Sex Machine. So okay, there you go. I love it, love it. Well, you but... better get down to Vancouver uh, real, real soon. <laughs> but, Just kidding. Um, what was very interesting that I love that the three of you pointed to, and Star, you really started off real well when you talk about the rewards and stuff. Is I think the missing that I think that anyone really should get at least what's there for me is that it's the frustration and exhaustion of always having to think. You're always having to think about it. it, it I go back to my point before, I don't think 
it's a restriction. It's just that you're constantly having to think about it. So, you know, when you're with yourself, you're with yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So when you are constantly thinking, you know, if, if you're listening to this and let's say you're gay and you've ever thought about how should I present myself so that people don't know I'm gay, you're like constantly thinking about it. You may even say, you know what, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to totally shrink myself in the room so that nobody finds out who I am, right? It's the same thing with internalized racism is you are just constantly in a thought of, and, it, and it's a, almost a survival mode for some of us. It's like, how do I survive today? Because mm -hmm. when you are literally concerned about your well-being, you know, stars give an example of like, you know, I don't wanna get arrested. I don't wanna be in danger. Like, and, and the, the, the devastation is, for me, what I think it is, it's, it, it, it manifests itself as really bad health issues. Mm. Uh, you know, mental illness. It's just, it just, it's very hard to be concerned and be in survival mode all the time. All, right. it, it just, it, that's the frustration. That's the exhaustion. That's what I really hope that people get mm -hmm. is that it, it's tiring when you get no rest. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's there for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think we do, um, whether consciously or, or sort of unconsciously, but instinctively, we, we do what we can to survive. And my experience is that sometimes that means adapting to and adhering to a status quo that maybe doesn't serve us, but allows us to get by. That is maybe exhausting and detrimental in the long run, but will keep us alive and, and, and perhaps getting by and getting ours in some small way. Um, for a period of time. And that's just no way to live, you know? It's right. just no, it's right. no way to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I've, and, and, and I guess the last thing I'll say is like, I've, I've seen it in myself where, um, and when I say oppressor, I don't necessarily mean an individual, um, although I do, but also like just the problem itself, you know, uh, uh, and the oppressor can be a problem that exists. It doesn't just have to be a person. Um, and, I've, and, and I've seen myself um, um, sort of conform to the bar or the standards of, of my oppressor, you know, and and that can be a really traumatic and shame-inducing uh, experience. You know, it can be really sad and grief-inducing and shame-inducing. And it's an important conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. Um, You know, as we, I mean, there's so, there's so much that we could discuss here today and there's probably so much that was left on the table and off the table. Um, with that being said, um, 
we'll have to do a part two. Yeah, I really think we will. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really think we will. And I, I just want to make sure that everyone feels like they've kind of said everything they have to say before we segue, because what I want to talk about next is, um, you know, as we sort of move toward a close, is, is, is the conversation around what we're doing to navigate um, internalized racism and and really create healing for ourselves um, and and create environments and um, experiences that support that as well, that undoing. Um, but before we go there, was there anything else that anyone wanted to share in relation to experiences they had around internalized racism or just any ideas related to what we've discussed so far? Okay. Um, so I guess popcorn style, like whoever sort of feels inspired in the moment, I would ask, yeah, what, um, what are you doing to, or what, what is happening to support you in, um, undoing, reconciling with, um, transmuting, transforming, integrating um, the, the pain, the trauma, um, the struggle that is internalized racism. Yeah. Um, I can start. Yeah. So I think uh, just um, having this wonderful conversation with you guys has um, been uh, a really good aspect of my healing journey. And um, just knowing that, uh, you know, there are the people that have my experience, but I'm also surrounding myself with people that truly love and accept me, you know, as I am, no matter what um, their ethnicity might be, for sure. Uh, you know, I'm listening to a whole bunch of, you know, um, spiritual leaders that also happen to be non-Caucasian, right? And I think that's that's great as well. And uh, I think that, you know, as we, you know, have this journey toward, you know, being the best versions of ourselves that, that we can be, I think the onus is really on us to just boost ourselves up as much as possible because, you know, people are going to come at you no matter who they might be. They could be your brothers and sisters, your, um, your partners, your parents, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that the, the really, really important journey is just to really somehow have the strength to, you know, really love yourself um, despite what anyone else will say. And I, of course it's easier said than done, right guys. Um, but uh, um, I think that's, that's, you know, basically what I'm doing right now in, in my journey. And uh, certainly not easy, but uh, I'm very thankful for the people that have come into my life um, very recently through this group and um, just um, in general. So, um, yeah. That was actually um, similar to what I, I recommended, I would recommend. I think uh, love, love is the answer. Self-love, like you 
to me didn't change until I accepted that I loved myself, that I had to love myself. I had to embrace who I am, embrace my blackness, my Latinoness, my my allness, <laughs> you know, and realize that it, it is who I am. I can't change it, I can't turn it off and just love yourself. I, I know in the beginning, in the earlier um, segment, I blame media. I do always blame the media. But I think in this case, sometimes you, you give a little props to media because on my path to self-discovery and self-development, I turn to music and um, I think I, I specifically sought out uh information that will support the path I was taking. So even like, I want to give props to like Beyonce, sorry. <laughs> I love Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of helped me embrace that, you know, that strong, positive black self that I didn't really see, you know, in the, the documentary, Black is King, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't really see black, or BIPOC community as in a, in a positive light often. So in times like this, you know, I would give social media, like media, the props that they deserve when it comes to kind of helping mold that decisive path that you take. But the key is love. I love that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, for me, I, I would agree. Like, um, I do a lot of work, professional development, done therapy, done all of that. I recommend everything. And um, I'm really getting interested in the power to choose. Um, whereas I think when I was younger, internalized racism didn't feel like a choice. It felt like something that was forced on me. Now I feel that I have the power to choose. So um, just really quickly, there was like an episode of Pose. Ooh, where yes, um, yes. You know, that, that's my yes. show. I so love that show. There was an episode where, um, you know, a transgender woman was, you know, arguing with her mom. And her mom said, you know, if you could just tone it down a bit, you know, we could really work something out. And her response to her is no, absolutely not. Why would I tone it down when I'm all about more, more money, more men, more beauty, more this? And I remember watching that thinking to myself, well, why didn't I choose that? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> why yes. is it that when I was dealing with stuff, I didn't say no, more, yes. more this, more this. So I'm glad that, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I can choose self-love and I can choose more. And yeah, I just, I want more. I'm going to give it to myself. I even choose to love myself by being on here because I finally got to a point where I'm like, Andrew, you know, you're worthy enough for your voice to be heard too. So yeah, absolutely. Mm, wow. 
Yeah, it's funny. They talk about critical consciousness as being one of the ways that we empower and liberate ourselves from uh, internalized racism. And, and yeah, it, I, I think it ties in beautifully with um, this idea of choice and recognizing our, our freedom to choose, which comes with awareness, you know. Um, I can also relate very much to a time when uh, in some ways I didn't know I had a choice and my my personal flavor of struggle was like on the one hand I remember feeling like I came out of the womb knowing that I was king shit you know the queen shit too um, it was like oh like I like I didn't get the memo that like I, I wasn't privileged and y'all were like I, I'm I'm gonna eat with this spoon and this fork and drink with this cup and be in this place. And I'm here because I, because I have just as much right to be here as anybody else. And I like, I just did not get, a part of me just did not get the memo that I was like any less than anybody else, you know? And I, I moved through life with this audacity and this nerve still. Um, which requires courage and, 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 and vulnerability as well, you know, that, that comes with the territory. But um, yeah, I think what I'm up to these days, and this really started probably in my mid-20s, was, okay, you know, that chemical relaxer um, burnt my forehead. It's like, why am I even doing this? Like, this is absurd. Like, why am I putting this stuff in my hair? And these contact lenses, like, they're not even that comfortable, you know? And, and I just started seeing content. And I think the big moment for me was the year there was the pride party and it was a white party. And, you know, at that point I had just cut all my hair off. I was like, I'm done with this relaxing stuff. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, you know, I'm done with these colored contacts. I am black. And it was that My Black is Beautiful campaign had come out. And I, 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 I put that on a shirt that I wore to this event. And it was so cool because Deborah Cox, I think is her name, was performing that night. So it was a moment where I was like, yes, there's this fabulous Black woman on stage. Everybody in the audience is like cheering. And, and, and it, was, it was just this moment for me where I was like, yes, like we're that. I am that. We are that, you know? And it's continually been a journey of surrounding myself with other, you know, with, with other fabulous, amazing, beautiful people of color, you know, BIPOC people, and not just BIPOC people, but queer, you know, QTPOC people, you know, like queer, trans, gay, unit across the board, like, um, you know, marginalized people. And, and even being in this space, I have to admit, like, there was a moment where I was just like, oh my God, like you're so, you're all so beautiful. We're so beautiful. Like we're, and I don't always feel that way when all I'm seeing is like, you know, sort of, uh, yeah, like just the, the, the people of your European descent, Caucasian people, when I'm always surrounded by them, it's hard for me to find myself and my beauty in a space like that. So this is one of the ways in which I'm, I'm healing, you know, is spending time in spaces like this, having conversations with people like y'all and, and seeing and appreciating your beauty and your brilliance and what you have to offer. And, and, and then going, oh yeah, like 
that's me too. I'm, I'm that too. You know, we're, we are beautiful. Um, and, and as much as I can, coming back to Beyonce and media and content, immersing myself in, in, um, in a non-Eurocentric experience, you know, ultimately, I think those things have been really significant. And, and the last thing is in my, in my exploration of spirituality and psychology and mind and thought and consciousness, etc. What I've quickly come to realize is, um, you know, how would I say this? We're all experiencing life through the filter of the human condition, and um, and I think in understanding that, I can I can have compassion and empathy and understanding for people's humanity, including my own, and go, you know what, like we're just, we're doing, we're, we're working with what we know. We're working with our, you know, our understanding, which can evolve over time with new information and new insight. And it allows me to take things less personally and to just go, you know what, I'm, I'm here living my best life. Um, I create my experience. I decide my experience. Um, and, you know, the color of my skin and the texture of my hair and the color of my eyes and you know, the, the bridge of my nose, etc. Like none of these things, this does not, this does not make me any lesser, any less qualified, you know, to, 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 to receive love, to receive money, to be compensated, to create, to build a business, to thrive in this world as anybody else, you know, and that, that is what I'm about right now and helping other people see and live and experience that. Yeah. 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 Whoo. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're at time. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that said, I guess we can, yeah, we can close out. Um, I want to say thank you um, to, to listeners for showing up to this conversation, this introductory conversation, you know, we know um, that we are not experts. We know that things have been left on the table and off. This is just the beginning of a conversation and um, we're not here to get it right. We're just here to have it, to start it, you know, to open the conversation. And I want to honor each of you um, for, you know, boldly, bravely, beautifully showing up and brilliantly showing up to this conversation. Um, really appreciate you all. And I'm so excited. I really hope we get to do this again because y'all are amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you guys.